Welcome back to another episode of Discover Ag brought to you in part by Case IH. I am your host, Natalie, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And I'm Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And every week we bring you the top trending news articles in the ag and food space. We give you our professional farming opinions on these topics uh, so that you can feel more connected to the hands that feed us and to where your food comes from. We're out here making ag cool and farming fun again, you guys. That's what we do every week. Making ag sexy. Can we do that? Is that what we're doing? We're trying to make it cool, fun, sexy, relevant. All the things. D, all of the above. Uh, how's your week been? I know you are on a little bit of a vacation. You're actually in California, which is so funny to me because I feel like for new listeners tuning in, I like last week we were talking about Montana before that, you know, it's like, do they know where we're even from? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it's in our intro, Nebraska, New Mexico. Uh, no, yeah, I'm in California on a family trip. Uh, my family originally was from California, Southern California. So we come back here a couple times a year to see family. It's been so much fun. I got to see my sister. I haven't seen my sister since you and I were in California in February. So it's been good to see aunts, uncles, cousins. Guinevere is actually at a slumber party at um, her cousin's house. So doing all the things. By the time this airs, we'll be on our way back. But right now I'm still here. And part of the reason I was going was, you know, like spending time with the girls before you guys kick off homeschooling, right? Yes, we start homeschooling on Monday. So this has been like a fun week besides this. And like I had three meetings today and that's it. I've been trying not to work throughout the week. Obviously, like emails and things happen. But actually, I got a really good piece of advice for family trips before I went. And so far, I'm really liking it. Are you going to share it? (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to know? Yeah, I think we all do. (laughs) So setting expectations before the trip and like not just like, oh, I want to have more family time, like be very specific. So our dinner before we left, the girls um, and Daniel and I all said what our expectations were. And I was like, I really want to go to brunch as a family, like just us. Dan was like, I want to go on walks on the beach at least three days a week. Like we literally said like exactly what we want. And so it feels very like I feel like a lot of times family trips can be kind of hectic, a lot going on. And you can leave being like, did I even like do the things I wanted to do kind of. And this felt very like, okay, what's funny though is yesterday we did the brunch and the girls were kind of like all over the place. And I was like, okay, in my mind, this box (laughs) checking was very different, (laughs) but at least it still was like, it just laid out exactly what my expectations were and like what we were all hoping to get out of the trip. No, I love that. I feel like communication is actually the root of everything in life when it comes to like all the emotions we feel it's either because we did a good job communicating something. And so we're like on that, you know, spectrum of happy, or it's like, we did a really poor job communicating. And that's where like disappointment, frustration, anger all comes into. So I think like setting those expectations, is just really like communicating what each person expects from the vacation. Yeah. You were out of town this past weekend too. You were in Dallas. I'm curious, did you or Fort Worth, did you steal the giant disco cowgirl hat for me? (laughs) As I asked. (laughs) that was so cool I had seen it in photos before I didn't realize it was in Fort Worth and our hotel it's actually on the street of the hotel we stayed in so when I stepped out that first morning I was like the disco hat I found the disco hat so we'll for sure have to go back and do a photo shoot there if we ever get to the point where we can do like a live podcast event or something I feel like Fort Worth would be the perfect area so maybe we could like tie it in then as well yeah what are your favorite any recommendations like tell us what we need to know 
Yeah, it was. We were down there for Tad. Tad and him, Tad and I snuck away, which is always fun to get like one on one with your child, especially when they're like older, not knocking like one on one trips with like younger kids. Um, That's fun and exciting too. But I do think it just hits different when they're like fully functioning adults and you get to like vacation and spend time with them. Um, So we were down there. He wanted to look at some colleges and then Tad is just so drawn to the idea of going to Texas. I was telling producer Maddie that before we got on um, air. I'm like, Tad is just obsessed with the idea of going to Texas. And so we looked at colleges and then we also went to a really cool concert. Um, It's fun. Again, I feel like people, mothers, fathers, we kind of, I don't know. I feel like we so times like are sad over our children aging. And I feel like we lose sight of the idea of all the things we're gaining as they age. You know, like oftentimes we just get so sad about like littles growing up, but I'm like, there are so many cool things you get to do and experience with your children as they age. And music is one of those things for Tad and I, like we both really bond over like trying to find new artists and like, we just kind of have similar tastes in music. And so it was really fun. That was actually our first concert together. And it was a really good concert it was Marcus King. Um, so it was really fun to take Tad to Billy Bob's and like, I don't know, go do like an experience like with that with Tad. So Fort Worth was awesome. We stayed at the Sinclair. Um, I know you can stay down in like historic Fort Worth that there are hotels down there, which are fun. And like, that's great to be like walking distance from that. But I personally love being kind of in downtown Fort Worth. I felt like it was a different experience of Fort Worth. And it was kind of nice to sometimes leave behind the historic because you spend so much time walking down there and shopping. And like, if you go to the, you know, rodeos down there, the whatever it is, it was kind of nice to leave there. And there's actually good restaurants in like the downtown, downtown part. And so I don't know, we stayed at the Sinclair and I, there was a couple uh, really cool hotels right across the streets from us. So if you guys are looking forward or looking to go to Fort Worth, I would maybe check off of the historic strip because I feel like there's some untouched stuff in like the downtown area. Producer Maddie said the Sinclair is really good. It was awesome. They are very historic, but they modernized it, which was really cool. I've stayed in both and they're kind of fun for different reasons. It was so funny doing college tours with Tad though. Um, We're old, Tara. We are old. (laughs) Like like they were talking about- Are you just realizing this? Yes. I just feel like there were certain things they were talking about and just thinking back to our college experience- things are so different now. Like everything is digital. There's no paper. I'm like, I just feel like it was such a different experience for me being dropped off. And it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were freshmen, but I don't know. I just, I was like, I'm, I'm old, but it was hilarious because multiple times on the trip, poor Tad, as always, people thought I was his sister and not his mom. And I'm like, Tad (laughs) has to be dying. He, He takes it like a champ, but I know there's part of him that's just like, I'm dying. Oh my gosh. So my sister's husband had his birthday while he's here and he's younger than like all of us. He's even younger than her. And he, they went out in downtown San Diego. Daniel and I did not. So that tells you how old we were. Daniel was like, I want to stay home, get a good night's sleep. Um, but her husband came back and said, he was like, yeah, we went to this really cool speakeasy, but the music was so loud. And I was like, <laughs> welcome to your late twenties. <laughs> you are officially old and you're complaining about the music at the bar for your birthday party. I it was had great. To- put on my cool mom hat and be like, cause the concert didn't start until 10 o'clock. I'm like, normally I'm coming home at 10 o'clock. Like that's when our <laughs> girlfriends, we leave the restaurant, you know, we're like, okay, time to go home. And I was like, okay, I can do this. 
I can go like I was like prepping at 930 at night. I was like, I can do this. I can go out and start at 10 o'clock and hang cool. till past midnight and be cool and fun. Um, but I did want to share with you about driving in Fort Worth because it was giving oh my sheep tra- trail driving all over again. I, and I just could not stop thinking about like the anxiety I was having on sheep trail and how I made you drive. And I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast yet. So I thought it'd be funny to share. Yeah, Natalie's not a very good driver. Is that okay to say? You're not a bad driver. You just don't like to drive, actually. It's probably a better thing. And I feel like usually I drive, but on Sheep Trail, it was your dad's truck, so you drove until finally I was like, Natalie, I'm done. Move to the passenger seat. I am taking the wheel. It was like, Jesus, take the wheel, but it was like, I'm taking the wheel. I think it was a simultaneous moment of both of us being... I, I remember like it was after we crossed one of the area. Um, so for preface, I guess better for everyone listening. Sheep trail driving it is steep. You are on like mountain on one side of you and then the cliff on the other side, you know, like it's just, and there are terrible country roads, like dirt roads up into the mountain. Cause you're on, you're not on like County roads. Like none of this is maintained. It is all like mountain trails, forest trails. And so it's very shady. And yes, I do not like driving. I mean, Tad, I let Tad drive in Dallas, Fort Worth area. That speaks volumes <laughs> of how little I like driving. I think I drove getting our rental car at the beginning and Tad asked to drive. And I was like, no, you can't drive here. And then by the time half the day had rolled around, I was like, okay, you can drive here. I'm over this. But there was a point when we crossed like a huge muddy area and I was having like major anxiety that I just stopped. And I said, Tara, I'm not doing it. And I took my shoes and I got out and I walked in the mud around the truck and you crawled over the seat and we got back in and we didn't say anything. And you just like drove the rest of the way. You got out of the truck without your shoes on and like walked through the mud and got back in the truck. It was hysterical. It was a lot. Good times. Well, I'm glad Tad rescued you in Fort Worth. I feel like uh, you are my mother. My mother would always have me drive places and that's probably why I'm a good driver now. So you're just making Tad a better driver. Okay. Do we have a word of the week? Uh, Yes, we do have a word of the week. Um, And I think it's one that people have probably heard before, but... I don't think I realized it's an actual word. I think I thought it was more slang. So I thought we could highlight the word bodacious. Oh, yeah, I like it. Abundant and bountiful. And I think I just always thought like bodacious Bodacious. was like, I didn't know it was in Webster, I guess, you guys. I didn't know it was an actual word. Maybe other people did, but I kind of thought it was just like a made up slang for, you know, how we normally think of bodacious. Booty. Yeah. (laughs) Maddie, producer Maddie wrote booty. (laughs) Actually, I like bodacious for your Fort Worth adventure this weekend. Like bodacious feels like a very Fort Worth word. Like that feels like the word you should use there when you see like, would the hat be? The example sentence was everyone wanted to taste the Zolo's dessert with bodacious layers of chocolate, caramel, marshmallows, candies, and crunchies. All right, let's work it in. We haven't been doing good at working them into the podcast, so we need to Kick that up a notch. Bodacious. Uh, the Let's word I use all the time in my everyday life, though, is yammer. I feel like I have fully integrated yammer into my vocabulary. Yep. Agreed. That one That one has stuck. So maybe mm-hmm. bodacious will, too. Okay. So Discover Ag, before we get into the first article, Discover Ag is brought to you, as always, by Case IH. The men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and to even share your own. 
built by farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. And next week, if you follow Daniel and I either on Facebook or on our um, Instagram pages, we have some really exciting things coming up with Case actually on the dairy. So check out our stories and videos that are coming. Love the love the tease. All right, getting into mm-hmm. our first article you guys need to know this week um, of discovering what's new in the world of ag is influencers built up this wellness startup until they started getting sick. So this was a Bloomberg article, right? Was it Bloomberg? Yep. Okay. And it's kind of, I don't know, I use the expose, the word expose if I don't know what it's called article. So <laughs> I'm going to call this another little expose piece. And it is on this vegan wellness brand called Daily Harvest. And essentially, like the title says, they were really built off of social media influencing kind of the wellness, I would say, wave. Like they really rode that wave out um, and did really, really well. They grew into a huge brand. Um, I even ordered from them. We can talk about that in a minute. And then they started having recalls. And so I don't know where you want to dive into this, but it's essentially about that, like the beginning how they rose to their fame and then how these recalls have kind of, kind of, not totally, like brought them down. Yeah. So a few different things. Yeah. This was on Bloomberg. We are officially subscribed to like every <laughs> newspaper there is out there. I just subscribed to be able to see uh, so this We one. both refused to. You had to subscribe and then screenshot it to me so that we both didn't have to subscribe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, second... What's funny is you wanted to do an article about Trader Joe's recall. And I was mm-hmm. like, eh, recalls are boring. They happen all the time. And mm-hmm. then I brought you this one. I was like, I want to do this one. But what was so crazy to me about this one is there have been like multiple recalls for Daily Harvest. I had a hard time finding um, articles that were only about this current recall because there's been so many different recalls. And then you were like, yeah, I used to use this. And I kind of forgot that you used to be like a pretty, like you used them regularly. So I guess I want to start with kind of like what your experience with them has been. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when I first used them. I think it was after maybe Rue was born. I feel like I was trying to think of the timeline. I remember making them in one of the summers walking and I had a kid in a stroller all the time. And I don't think I was using it after Jax was born because that would have been like five or six years ago. And that feels like a really long time ago. So I'm guessing I kind of got into it maybe when I was pregnant with Rue and then used them for the, you know, the while after Rue, which would have been 2020, 2021 is probably when I subscribed to Daily Harvest. And I had a really great experience with them. I never ventured past the smoothie, which you guys, Daily Harvest is, um, they're like frozen, I don't know, meals, I guess, too, that you can order. I don't know if they just started with the smoothies and they added the meals. Like I never really paid much attention, I guess, to the, um, I guess, like origin journey of their offerings. But I love the smoothies because they just came in the little cup. They had the fruit all chopped up and all you had to do was dump in your blender, add water, milk, whatever the liquid you wanted was blended up and then you could pour it back literally into the cup that, you know, the fruit you ordered it in. And so it was super convenient and handy. And then I remember sharing once on my Instagram stories and someone mentioned like, you know, they just, or be careful. They just got like a recall or something. And that was kind of the beginning of their recalls. And then I never ordered, um, again after that. So 
a little bit of like backstory on this most recent recall. More than 130 people ended up in the hospital. 40 people had to have their gallbladder removed. Uh, Largest foodborne illness of 2022 was related to daily harvest and people experienced liver damage too. And so this was big. But in addition to this, uh, the company actually had a massive corporate retreat in June. And a lot of people were turned off by that corporate retreat that it was like, done at the wrong time when all these people are experiencing this, like being sick. And the corporate retreat was intense. It was superhero themed, all vegan, very, very like social media, you know, what you think of like Instagrammable. Uh, And people were just like, seriously, people are in the hospital, people are having surgery, people are having tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of medical bills, and you're like throwing a party for how good you guys are doing. Uh, A lot of the customers that got sick, they got were given a $10 credit. So it was just mm, very ick feeling about the whole thing. Yeah, I do feel like this article really painted two things or really wanted you to take away two outcomes. And one was this rise up through social media. They talked about how the founder was like obsessed with Instagram, how she would do anything in the office to have like an Instagram photo, Instagram worthy moment captured. Um, But on the same token of like that kind of like ick factor they're trying to point about, paint about social media. I thought um, they did also highlight on her brilliance to capitalize on influencer marketing really, really early. She was one of the first brands to do like affiliate marketing. And they talked about how that essentially helped, you know, great uh, daily harvest rise to the top. I mean, she has was backed by Serena Williams and Gwyneth Paltrow at the beginning. Um, They have over 500,000 followers on Instagram. I mean, it's a excellent case model of how you could use social media as a marketing tool to really escalate your brand. And so there's this social media component, which you talked about, like they had this retreat that again was like probably all over social media, very staged, you know, photo shoots, like the whole thing when you think of Instagram, right? And then they have this juxtaposition of how the company handled things. And you talk about like having the retreat at the same time there were recalls, but they also talked a lot about how this retreat um, didn't comply with like FDA recall the way they should have. They sent out like two emails. One was basically to people who had ordered this product, the uh, French lentil and leek crumbles, which is what Tara was talking about when they had the major like hospitalizations and gallbladder removed. It was from this, this plant protein ball, essentially they're selling. And I want to get into the mechanism of action. Why? Cause I thought it was really interesting, but, um, they sent out an email to people who had ordered that already and said, like, I don't even know. It was a kind of like a, I felt like a very soft email, right. For a recall. And then they sent out an email to people who had this in their cart and basically said like, we sold out. Like they didn't use the word recall for X amount of time. And that was really brought to light. But basically how they handled the back end of this recall, which was really trying to not issue a statement about recall. Yeah. A couple of things on that note. I do want to say this is a $1.1 billion company. It was evaluated as that in 2021. So this is, a, um, this is not a small company. This is a big company. Uh, they though, their sales are down 65% and they've had a ton of layoffs since this. But what's crazy on kind of that back end note is that current federal regulations don't do much for e-commerce. And so they're not regulated the same as like a restaurant or, you know, a grocery store even though they may be delivering food, um, especially for ingredients that are quote unquote generally safe. There's very little regulation. And so I thought that was kind of crazy, this world that we live in where we are moving totally digitized, like very e-commerce. And yet our federal regulations 
aren't regulating them. Like in my mind, they should be regulated the same as a grocery store or as a restaurant. I'm not sure exactly which of those categories they should fall in, but like they should be regulated nonetheless. Absolutely. That was actually my big picture takeaway point from this article was that, as you said, federal regulations, they're not designed to handle the way we have moved as a society currently. And I do think that needs to be made a priority is whether it's the FDA, the USDA, like these governing bodies need to, I think, catch up with um, how we have moved online essentially and really change policy regulations, how they're monitoring all of that. We need like a makeover to our system right now. Yeah, 70 people are suing Daily Harvest, and I wonder if that will be enough to um, maybe spark some legislation, some, you know, different policy making. Uh, one of, especially because some of these are influencers that have really big followings online. So I feel like the people that are suing, they may have some like, platforms to be able to get this message out. Uh, one of the influencers, one of the big influencers that was a big like supporter of Daily Harvest, she was actually pregnant when she got sick. And one of the risks from what she got was a stillborn. And so she was like a high risk pregnancy after that. So she's one of the people suing Daily Harvest. Uh, and so it'll just be interesting. I know we say this a lot to kind of like follow the story, but like, will anything come of this? Will change happen? will the right things be put in place for like safety? Oh, it'll be really interesting because they also just moved into grocery stores. So they had been entirely online direct to consumer beforehand. And now they're moving into a plethora of actually grocery stores. Um, they're available at Kroger's, Ralph's, Dylan's, Fred Meyer's. I mean, very common. And it, you know, they're posting that they're like ramping up to be even in mid more stores by mid August. And so on one hand, you have kind of this outcry about this company and the way they're handling things. And then on the same hand, you have them actually moving forward. But the last thing I'll say about this, my other big picture takeaway is I thought it was a really interesting article that I think portrays how far some of us will go for wellness as a whole um, and how far we go down like the superfoods, avenue and just really I think how I said in the beginning this wellness wave like has taken over society and we get so caught up in you know the Instagram story of an influencer we're following and the smoothie they made and I just think this is like maybe a little bit of the reality check we need as a society to go back to like I don't know just eat a freaking steak okay if you want a wellness superfood don't <laughs> order like some crazy um concoction that, you know, is online. It's like we have Whole Foods abundantly all around us everywhere in a very simple form. And I think we've overcomplicated our food system a lot. Yeah, the word superfood was thrown out a lot in a lot of articles that that's how Daily Harvest had uh, portrayed themselves. This whole idea, the brand's image is clean, beautiful living. That's what they would tell influencers to promote. And so just like words like clean, beautiful, I don't know, you know, obviously they were trying to hit a very specific target audience. Um, And obviously the word clean is kind of backfiring on them now with these uh, foodborne illnesses. So some my final thing is some crazy numbers. Uh, The CDC estimates that 48 million people get sick from foodborne illnesses, 128,000 are hospitalized, and 3,000 people die a year from foodborne illnesses. So it's like, you know, a serious thing, a real threat. Kind of crazy. Um, You know who orders daily harvest that we need to notify? Who? Evan from Sheep Trail. Oh, no. We got to tell him. I know. Hopefully he's listening. Evan, if you're listening, you got to ditch Daily Harvest. I don't know what will happen out there on Sheep Trail if you <laughs> you got those lentil protein balls. If you got sick. 
<laughs> Poor Evan. Uh, <laughs> I hope he's listening. Uh, okay. Um, before we move on to our next article, I want to highlight another one of our amazing sponsors, Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers. I'm just so excited about Good Ranchers. It's funny because I feel like I've become a total like beef snob. Like I used to just be like, eh, you know, whatever steaks, everything's fine. And now I'm like, I feel like I show up to parties and I'm like, we brought our own steaks. Like these are our Good Rancher steaks. Like please cook these for us. And I just, I never thought that I'd be at a point in my life where I talked as much about steaks as I do, but that's thanks to Good Ranchers because I'm just like so hardcore about them. And obviously now we know they're now offering pork as well. So you can go to GoodRanchers.com. You can use our code DISCOVER for $30 off any box. And their pork is really incredible. It's prime pork. So it's kind of similar to beef. Uh, It has more marbling, better coloring. It's more tender by 25% compared to other pork. And then obviously one of Natalie and I's favorite things about this company is it is 100% American raised. The pork is also 100% American raised, so you can trust it and seriously enjoy it. Yep. Good Ranchers has taken over our freezers, both of us. I always say I feel like I'm cheating on my own herd um, when I pull out Good Ranchers and say my own beef. But um, I don't know. It's a, it's a good company. You guys check it out. As Tara said, you can find them at goodranchers.com. And then with our code discover, you'll get $30 off of any box. So if you are looking to try beef that you know where it comes from, that is American raised, um, we highly recommend checking out Good Ranchers. All right, moving into our second article you guys need to know this week, how beer is helping salmon find their way home from the ocean. A beer byproduct is being used as Google Maps for hatchery-raised salmon. So the cool thing that I found about this article is I didn't know somebody was out there studying scents that entice salmon to travel upstream. (laughs) The things you learn on Discover Ag. So diving into the article, the who behind this is Oregon Hatchery Research Center, Um, And it is a collaborative project between them and Oregon's Fish and Wildlife, um, as well as one of the university departments, I believe. And I will have to say the things we forget that we learned as youth, I totally space that salmon like go back upstream. (laughs) And I have to tell you, I was like researching websites and articles for this. And I ended up on this. I don't even know what website it was. But they had like this interactive game for children. And I was so immersed in it and playing this. I was a salmon and I was traveling around the streams. And I learned so much about their why they travel from cool water back to warm water and their migration and just so much about salmon. It was fascinating. And I did not expect to spend about 30 minutes of my life doing that. But there I was learning, like you said, about salmon and scents and I don't know, all things fish. That's funny. In the article, it literally said, um, as everyone knows, salmon swim upstream. Duh. Duh. (laughs) Um, Something that I learned that I thought was crazy. So salmon, uh, 70% of all salmon produced worldwide is actually farmed. So this is, this affects a lot of our salmon population that we consume. Salmon is the most eaten fish in the United States. So like on that note, we're eating a lot of salmon and majority of it is farm raised. And so being able to get them to go back to where they're supposed to go instead of ending up, they're getting like mistakenly swimming into the wild population. And obviously they want to try to keep the wild population separate from the farmed salmon. The whole thing was crazy. All the labeling, we can kind of get into that. I don't know if you went down that rabbit hole or not, but like how things are labeled and which 
uh, you know, region they come from, whether like Atlantic, if you see Atlantic salmon, it is absolutely 100% farmed. Whereas if you see Pacific, it's typically a wild caught salmon. No, I did. I just played a game. Honestly, that's what I did (laughs) to prep for this article. (laughs) But going into the smelling. So like you said, they are trying to prevent the salmon from mistakenly swimming into areas populated by wild salmon. And so shortly after they hatch, young salmon, I guess, imprint like scents that surround them. And then when they get older, they'll use those memories to, as the title said, like basically Google Maps to like return to the birthplace so that they can like then spawn there. So what they're messing around with is different scents to like imprint on them. And they were talking about how there's more aromatic molecules in air than are water soluble. So there's like hundreds for fish, but thousands for dogs. So I thought it was interesting. They were saying fish can't smell as many things, but they can smell much better, which I thought was really interesting because they're talking about how they have to like know in a very quick, short amount of time, whether like food, it's like good or bad or dangerous or whatever. And I just, I don't, I don't think I knew fish could smell. So adding that to my like list of things, discover ag has taught me. The list in my notes is I didn't know salmon had noses. I guess I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, I guess, I don't know. It just is obviously different on a fish. But yeah, they use their nose to track the way back. I thought the imprinting was kind of crazy. And so they had tried a bunch of different scents. And some of them did work, but a lot were really expensive. And so one of the head researchers was actually a home brewer. And he got the idea when he was like home brewing. And then the waste that's produced by brewing something, it ends up like they even said, like, that's one of the downsides of like home brewery is like figuring out what you're going to do with your your waste from brewing. And similar with breweries. I mean, we talk about how we'll feed waste from breweries to cattle. Like they are looking for ways to get rid of that, like what's left over. And so this is kind of a cost effective way uh, to be able to, you know, get these salmon to come back. You know, we love to talk about byproducts of different industries and how they could be recycled and used by other industries. And I thought this was a really another great example of like what we could do with you know, brewers yeast left over for another agriculture industry, close that loop, make it circular. Um, so I love the sustainability portion. And then I also love them talking about the scalability portion. Cause like you said, they did try other things. They had mentioned like extract of shrimp, tincture of watercress, like some weird things, I guess, smelling things, but they were like talking about how that wasn't going to be, they couldn't scale that large enough for, as you mentioned, like this huge amount of populations they'd eventually look into for the salmon. So I love that they highlighted on the sustainability and the scalability and how they were really using those like as driving factors to like make this decision. We've had a lot of fish articles lately and it's going to continue. Next Tuesday is our debunking of Seaspiracy. So if you like this conversation, especially the wild versus farmed conversation, there's going to be even more coming. But I really went into this farmed side of things. So according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of United Nations, by 2030, which is not far away at all, uh, farmed fish will provide close to two-thirds of all global food fish consumption. So we are going to be seeing like a massive shift to even more so than we already are of this farmed fish. And so really like dialing this in is important. But what was even more interesting to me is there are um, states in the United States that actually outlaw fish farming and they include the entire Pacific coast. So Alaska, California, and Oregon, and I think Washington, but don't quote me on that one. I know Alaska, California, and Oregon, they actually completely outlawed farm fishing in order to protect wild fisheries. I was going to say that reminds me of of like Italy banning lab meat. I feel like those, it would make sense to me that those would be the states banning it because it would be to protect like their food heritage, right? Like what is their natural environments? So I'm not surprised that 
that is uh that outlawed there uh, it, Washington, it is. Washington banned uh, net pens in state waters uh, because of danger to struggling native salmon. So, yes, the entire Pacific coast. And then I saw Canada is moving to join them, like a British Columbia, that area. And so it will be the entire Pacific coast. Right now, Canada does still allow it. Um, and so, which is kind of, I usually Canada, I feel like, tends to be more... Um, before us on some of these things. I don't know if progressive is the right word because I'm sure if you want to farm fish, you don't see that as progress. Um, but it was just surprising to me that the United States already had states that were outlawing it and that Canada hadn't. I just cannot tolerate any more Canada fishing talk. I have to hear it from Luke nonstop that I this has to be a no Canada fishing zone. The podcast has to be. I cannot bear to listen to it anymore. Ever since we got that damn cabin, you guys, I'm just... All he watches is YouTube. You know what he said to me the other night? He said, and I quote, I think I should be a um, fishing influencer and you can be my, you know, like assistant for that. And I was like, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Luke is going to do a career change. So my dad actually went fishing while we were here in California and not one person on the entire boat the entire day caught a single fish. Oh my gosh. That is a bad day of fishing. <laughs> I felt so bad for them. I know. I was like, that sucks. Oh, uh, anyway, I thought the article was, um, a good call to action. It ended with to continue drinking beer. So for all of our IPA listeners out there, my husband loves a good IPA, you know, you can, now you can feel good about supporting maybe, you know, guiding salmon back to where they can spawn and die. There you go. There you go. All right. Before we do our third article, we want to talk about our giveaway. Yeah, of course. Every month we do a giveaway. Uh, we'll be sending out July's giveaway winner this week. We put together an amazing box full of some of our favorite goodies from some of our favorite like um, handcrafted people that are just, I don't know, we always, I mm -hmm. pride ourselves in finding really cool things to send to our listeners. So in order to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is, um, you know, follow us, share us on social, um, leave us a review. There's lots of ways. And we go through all of those and pick one winner every single month. Okay. Number, the third article you guys need to know this week, Senate targets China voting to restrict farmland purchases and U.S. investment. Senators voted overwhelmingly to block Chinese businesses from buying farmland and mandate that American investment in the country's national security industries be tracked. To start us off, we have talked about foreign ownership on this podcast two other times, and it was in um, episode 73, so going way back, about China owning farmland, and then episode 84 about Saudi Arabia uh, owning farmland and using water in Arizona. So if you like this topic, go back and listen to those two. Um, there's a really some really great facts in there. Yeah, I really loved our Saudi Arabia episode. I feel like, I don't know, that was just a good one. It always sticks out in my mind. I feel like, I feel like we did a good job covering that one, like presenting information that the media was not presenting. Um, so anyway, carry on with this one. Uh, this one I feel like was fascinating to me because there is bipartisan support to block Chinese businesses from buying U.S. farmland. And they're really like trying to ride this wave of people, I think, not wanting foreign ownership of farmland. Like it talked about that, that there, there's been kind of a movement. And so a lot of these senators on both sides of the aisle are kind of like jumping on that. Similar to what we've talked about before, it's just funny to me that China is the one that's being called out when the top 10 countries that own farmland in the United States, China does not fall on that list. It is Canada, Netherlands, Italy, UK, lots of European countries. Um, China's pretty far down on the list. 
Yeah. I don't even know where to start. Actually. I have so many different like things I want to bring to the service for this and then like big pictures to take away. But yes, they, it is not even China that they're targeting solely. It also includes Russia, Iran, and North Korea. So it, those are the four that are being called out in the, in, I guess there's two laws. And in the first part of the law, they're voting, which passed 91 to seven to ban the sale of farmland to certain foreign adversaries. Um, and the four included are China, Russia, and Iran, and North Korea. And so they cannot purchase a controlling interest in U.S. farmland or other agribusinesses. The second part of the law, which approved 91 to 6, would require Americans to notify the Treasury Department within 14 days of making any investments in the national security industries of those four countries. Um, so I think big picture for me is this is being made about China and farmland. And I don't think that's what it's about at all in my mind, right? Like, I think people see this and think like food and I feel like it's more, I don't know, political. Like I have some quotes I could pull out, but. Definitely more political, definitely talking about um, asset threats and national security. This does still have to pass the house before becoming law. Uh, And it was added to the defense policy bill, which Mm -hmm. I think is interesting. It's interesting to see where these, you know, different one-off like laws get put, like where they kind of get sneaked in, I feel like. Um, But one of the things I read, and then you can kind of dive into what you read, is this ban is a less aggressive effort to target China. That they Mm -hmm. could have gone after, you know, China's economy through export controls or TikTok ban or other like big ticket items. But instead, this is a way to kind of get it like, I don't want to say a dig, but kind of like a dig at China without actually doing a lot. No, I would agree. So I pulled out two sound bites. Um, one was from Senator John Tester, who is out of Montana. And he said, quote, this is a critical step toward making sure we aren't handling over valuable American assets to foreign entities who want to replace us as the world's leading military and economic power. And then basically, again, on that same like economic wavelength, there was another quote that said supporters see the me- this measure as important for closing a loophole in American economic defenses against China. So I really do think it's just about like political power, essentially. And yes, I see how food falls under that. Like it's a very important part. Tar and I talk about that all the time about like food security and the importance of like being a nation that is food secure and, and everything that falls under that umbrella. But the way I feel like this is getting painted in news lines and articles and headlines is kind of like China and farmland. Like it comes down to, I don't know, I just think people are going to think that it's all about food and they're trying to take over our food system. Yeah, I agree. Um, A couple interesting stats. Russia owns 73 acres of farmland in the United (laughs) States. And we're going to put it in the defense bill that they can't like they need to notify us when they buy more. And I'm not saying like, I don't know where those 73 acres are. Maybe they're important acres. Maybe they're next to something. That's something we've talked about in the previous episodes when China was trying to buy land close to, you know, um, a base like a military base. Um, But less than 3% of the U.S. land is foreign owned. And of that, less than 1% of it is owned by China. And then from there, it's even further. Like I said, Russia, I mean, less than 100 acres. So I do think this has become very politicized. And it's, I agree with you, it's not about what it's truly about. Biden actually already had an executive order on 
that was enforced about making uh, investors share if they invest in China, which is another side of this piece, like you said, of people, Americans having to say if they invest in China. And I feel like that's equally as important as the China investing or buying farmland in the United States. Oh, so important. They, I love that they talked about this outbound investment because I don't feel like it's ever been brought into the conversation when people talk about vice versa. And we have to remember that as Americans, we are doing the exact same thing elsewhere. And like no one's talking about that. This article quoted that we have $6.58 trillion by the end of 2022 for outbound investments. A lot of it's in the UK, Netherlands, Ireland, Canada. So yeah, they're really looking at like, I guess, monitoring or controlling that. Do you want to know who the largest landowner in the world is? Yeah, I know. I think it's in my notes, but I can't find it because my notes are kind of messy. King Charles III of England. He owns, this can't be right. I, this has to be right. 6.6 billion acres of land around the world. Technically, he owns, what he owns amounts to one sixth of the surface area of the planet, land. That is crazy. That is so crazy. I I really, I seriously went down such crazy rabbit holes. Um, Ted Turner is the third largest landowner in the United States, which I thought was interesting because we saw his mountain range in Montana. Mm -hmm. Yes, he owns a mountain range, (laughs) which was impressive. (laughs) Casual. Yeah, totally casual. And then I did some research for uh, Nebraska and New Mexico. So these are just some fun, interesting things of what's for sale right now. In Nebraska, the most expensive piece of land for sale right now is 11,000 acres selling for 35 million. New Mexico is selling 50 acres for 96 million. So if you want to get some acres, some tens of thousands of acres in New Mexico and Nebraska, that's the going rate. (laughs) I wonder what Montana's is. Oh, I should have looked. I should have thrown Man- Montana in there. Now I'm disappointed in myself, my facts. But it is, I think my point of like my rabbit hole was just like lots of people, like you said this, it's no one acknowledges what we are buying in other countries or what other people are buying in all sorts of different countries. Like it is a global world that we live in in this day and age and people are buying stuff all over the place. And I don't necessarily think it is like bad or good. Yes, I think we should be regulating and keeping an eye on it. But I just think it people are making it about more than it is. Um, And because we will we need to, we'll have to bring in our friendly, uh, favorite friendly person, Bill Gates and remind everyone that he is number 41 on the land reports 2022 list of Americans who own the most land. Um, And to put it in perspective, Jeff Bezos comes in at number 24 with 420,000 acres. I think Bill Gates was at like 200,000 acres. So again, another name, another headline that like media loves to run with, not saying we don't need to keep an eye on what Bill Gates is doing. But in the grand scheme of things, there are 40 other people before him on that list of people who control way more land than Bill Gates does. Yeah. Jeff Bezos owns more farmland in the United States than China as well. Yeah. So just perspective is helpful. Uh, I do. Do you think this will pass? I was so curious. I tried to research that, like, will this pass the house? And I couldn't find a single like clip about that of whether or not it will pass. So I guess based solely on my personal opinion, um, seeing the margin it passed in the Senate, I kind of think, yes, it'll pass in the House. I am hopeful it will too. I do think it would be good. I don't see any like glaring issues with it. What I did find when I was like looking like looking a little bit into it was that like, I think Republicans are trying to sneak some other things in with this house bill that Democrats are having an issue with. And that's obviously so annoying to me when 
whatever party side of the aisle tries to like sneak other things in with it. I'm like, can we just have like the focus be on the one most important thing and quit trying to sneak in your little like sidelines with it? Like this is probably something that should pass. It should be bipartisan. Everyone should be in favor of this. Like, why can't you just make it clean and simple like that? Politics are so stupid. Hair day here on Discover Ag. Politics are (laughs) stupid. Hot take. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for you guys this week. Um, Next week, we are having our last and final of the debunking series. So tune in for Seaspiracy and then the film to feature after that, which is to which we belong. So lots of exciting things coming in August. Also, as a reminder, we will be doing our husbands with our personal episode in August. So if you guys have questions, things you want us to talk about, touch on, make sure you're getting a hold of us. It's going to be a fun filled month. August is. All right. We'll see you guys next week.